Hello, welcome to A Leader Like Me podcast, where we will be amplifying diverse voices. My name is Advita Patel. And I'm Priya Bates, and we're co-founders of A Leader Like Me. We really hope you enjoy this listen. This week, we interviewed the absolutely inspiring Miriam Gonzalez, who is the founder and chair of Inspiring Girls International. She's also the advisor for the international trade and EU affairs, because she's an international trade lawyer and a lecturer at Stanford University. Miriam, you know what? I don't even know where to start with Miriam because every single bit of the interview I loved. I loved. And we said as we were ending the interview with her, we could we could have chatted to her for hours and hours on, on end. And it's a really interesting story, isn't it, Priya, about how you connected with her and how we managed to persuade her to come on our very first episode. Well, it was the fall of last year that a lot of our listeners probably saw this hashtag that was called This Little Girl Is Me. And what I saw were these stories, these lovely stories from complete strangers, some people we knew, um, talking about what it was like being a little girl and what they dreamed of and what they had accomplished. And it was this set of inspiring stories that inspired me. And I decided to participate. I participated in this little girl's me campaign, told my story on LinkedIn and got 25,000 views of that story and a number of comments. It was just incredible. It's amazing what happens when you decide to be a little vulnerable, but you actually become visible and uh, showcase your fears and your hopes and your dreams, you know, and also give it a chance to inspire others. Yeah, I loved it. And I know you you messaged me at the at the time and said, make sure, you know, you take part in this. And we told our leader like me community to do the same. And this, I had a very similar reaction to you when I posted my story on, on social, on LinkedIn and on uh, Instagram. And so many people messaged me privately to say, how they loved it and how it inspired them. And I know when you listen to Miriam's interview, she kind of talks behind the story of, of what happened and how she got to that, that got to that point. Um, and one of the things that she did say is, you know, she wanted to make sure that little girls around the world had inspirations around them. And I, you know, and you'll hear me say on the podcast that I feel it's wider than just a little girls, right? I think that campaign inspired women and many women yes. across the globe uh, and inspired them to, you know, to either do something different or believe in themselves a little bit more and boost their confidence and and courage. So I was so honored when I simply sent her an email or a direct message to her Instagram account and she right away responded yes to this interview. It really was wonderful. Oh, I know. And when you shared the name, Miriam Gonzalez, it was like the back of my head. And when I was doing some research about her uh, before the interview, it never even dawned on me. It's a Miriam Gonzalez who was married to Nick Clegg who is currently married to Nick Clegg. Uh, And Nick Clegg, for those of you who don't know, used to be the deputy prime minister uh, when we had the coalition at at 20, well, God, late 2000s now. Um, And that's when it clicked. I thought, oh, God, Sister Miriam Gonzalez. And I remember seeing headlines about what she was wearing and what shoes she was wearing. And one part of the interview that I absolutely loved was where she shares how she turned the negative feeling she had around the paparazzi to help her promote the work she's doing with inspiring girls and I love that but you know and and she said because I asked her about how did she feel when she was asked questions around her clothing when she's this incredible international trade lawyer and has done some fantastic work in, in around the globe uh, in this role and yet people were asking her 
the media and, and the journal, journalists were asking her about what she's wearing. Um, and, and she said, you know, and she said it's before social media and how she turned that around to kind of benefit the work that she's doing, which I, I loved. And I also loved where she chatted about visibility because it's something that we talk a lot about in a leader like me community about raising visibility and being the leader that you need to be to inspire others around you. Yes, and I remember the the moment of the interview that I really enjoyed is she talked about being lucky and every single time I hear lucky, I bring up my favorite Oprah quote, which is, you know, there's no such thing as luck, it's opportunity meeting preparedness. And she actually challenged me on that. She actually believed that there is such a thing as luck and that you need to be grateful for some of the things you've been given. And it's really about what you do with that privilege that matters. I, you know, that moment when she said, when she challenged you was, it was also one of my favorite <laughs> moments because those of you who don't know, we record it on, on, on video so we can see each other. And I could sense when Priya said this a quote, which is a quote by Oprah. Uh, and when she challenged it, I was like, nobody challenges an Oprah quote. And the fact that she stood up and said, actually, you know, this is not quite true that, you know, there's elements of truth, but not not 100%. Then I, I love that moment. And I hope that when you listen to this interview with Miriam, you are equally inspired as we were and you follow the work that she's doing with inspiring girls and, and, and you know, contribute to the conversation. Um, please do let us know if you enjoyed this episode. Connect with us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us under a leader like me. That's our tagline across all our socials. And if you're listening to us on a device where you can leave reviews, then we'd love you to leave a review for us as well. Because the more people who can hear these inspiring interviews with these incredible people, the better it will be to kind of you know raise awareness and visibility in Miriam's word about some of the great work they're doing. So we really hope you enjoy this. Thanks, everyone. If you are responsible for the diversity, equity and inclusion mandate for your organization, join WINGS, a bespoke program where we bring the experts to you and provide a safe community to share best practices to help you progress and cultivate a culture of belonging. You can find out more at aleaderlikeme.com. So welcome, Miriam. Thank you so much for being part of our very first podcast. Uh, Priya and I are very excited to meet you and to have a conversation with you. And we've admired the incredible work you're doing and have done uh, in, in the past and currently as well. And the reason that we, Priya and I wanted to speak with you, and not only because of your incredible accolades you've done anyway, you know, the, the work you do outside of Inspiring Girls, but also, you know, the Inspiring Girls work, and especially the Little Girl It's Me campaign. So I want to kind of kick our conversation off with you and ask, are you able to share a little bit with us about what it was like growing up as a little girl and what inspired you as a little girl when you grew up in, in Spain, I think it was, wasn't it? Yes. And first of all, thank you for, for having me and for your support to Inspiring Girls. And this little girl is me as well, that, that you helped a lot <laughs> during that campaign. Uh, when I was a little girl, I was growing up in, in Spain and I was born in Spain when Spain was still under the, the dictatorship. Um, so it was the dictator was there for the first eight years of my life, but it was kind of fading off. And I was really lucky because as, as, I, as I was coming out to, you know, being conscious of what was happening around me and, and public life and politics and all that, 
it happened to be probably the period of biggest change and social mobility in my country. It was just unbelievable, this, this positive movement. And, and we knew that we were all going to a better place. And for my generation in particular, it was this feeling that if you studied hard and, and you made an effort, you could get... I don't know whether everything you wanted, but you could get to a much better place than you were um, at that point. So, so it was very positive, very uplifting. Um, on the other hand, I, I was coming from a very provincial place. I grew up in a, in a small town. Um, we want to say that we are 4,000 people, but we really are 3,500, but within that 4,000 sounds better, really. <laughs> and uh, my father was the local mayor. We all know each other. We, we all gossip about each other. And, and I was there in the local school uh, during all my uh, primary and secondary school years and then I went to the closest university uh, to my home which is what you used to do in Spain at, at the time so it was a combination of a very positive loss of change going on in the country as a whole and a very you know rooted and a small <laughs> environment in my day-to-day -day life and I think that as a result I have got very strong roots but, but I'm somebody who is constantly um looking around and looking outside. No? Now, you talked about growing up with a mayor for a father. What were the expectations put on you as, as a, a female growing up in that household on what you could do with your life? What, what were, were there expectations? Oh, yeah, many expectations. I think that generally in, um, families tend to have a lot of expectations in relation to, uh, to girls, now that they... Um, they behave. I, I, I don't know whether there was an expectation or whether I felt myself <laughs> that there was an expectation, but I certainly had, when I was growing up, the feeling that um, I was meant to study, I was meant to behave, I was meant not to be um, naughty, and that there was a little bit, it was a very small community, but that there was a little bit of the um, people are looking, so don't, um, don't do bad things. Um, and, and I, it's, it's something that has gone with me um, through life, that feeling of, um, I definitely have a bit in me that feeling of wanting to please, that I, I have tried to get rid of it uh, during my life and probably have gone the other way on, on trying to break the rules. And whenever somebody tells me you have to do something, I really, really don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, um, it was always there. And certainly what I had... Um, was the feeling that uh, if I were to fulfill what was expected from me, I would have become um, a civil servant or, a, you know, we, we have some jobs like being a notary in, in Spain, which is very different um, in continental Europe to what it is in Canada or the UK. And, um, and those kind of safe jobs. I was expecting to have a safe job. And, um, and I became a civil servant at the beginning of the European Union. And my, my father had died uh, at the time, but when I left the civil service and I became um, a lawyer um, for my mother, it was a very big thing that I was living that, that certainty and predictability. And now that I am about to set up 
a company and probably two and, and I'm moving it into more risk. It, it continues being, it continues being an issue. She accepts it, but it's an issue. <laughs> I mean, you say you're a you're a, a lawyer, Miriam, but you know, when I was doing the research beforehand, you're an incredible international trade lawyer who has done absolutely in you know fantastic work across the globe. And I read stories about you traveling while you're pregnant and going to high-risk countries, right? Doing the work that you're doing. And we just, you know, as we were saying, like when we were growing up, when I was growing up, we just never saw women taking that kind of responsibility. You know, is and we really, you know, I particularly resonate with you about to be, you know, be seen and not heard kind of mentality. You have a certain persona you have to represent as a woman, and especially in South Asian culture, and I'm sure some of our listeners can resonate as well. So going out and doing this incredible work that you're doing, you know, I bet that was 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 there any point, I suppose, in your kind of journey that you thought, oh my goodness, like, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this. And, you know, is it was the people around you to kind of give you that support while you're doing that? You know, is there anyone that can you admired while you're doing also <laughs> kind of going around and about? Yes, I, I have always felt very supported and I was very lucky to have a family who supported me through and through. And then um, when I got married, I was very lucky that my husband supported me through and through. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think, why do I say that this is lucky? This should be always <laughs> like this, because of course I yeah. supported uh, my husband and every other member of my family. But, but you know, you realize that some people don't, don't have it. Um, and I have had many moments when I have felt Oh, wow, it's wonderful that I'm doing it. And, and more importantly, um, there are some moments that I have to remind myself, oh, I did that. And that was mm. great. No, and I I keep going on in, in Inspiring Girls, this organization I lead about the issue of lack of self-confidence of, of girls. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that, that it stays with many women. I certainly have some of that. And I think that a, a very good trick also is to remember one of the moments in your life when you have been most proud of yourself and to, to keep that <laughs> in your repository yeah. of things that you can go back to whenever you are having a, a wobble. But I very early on was given the chance to run negotiations in the World Trade Organization on behalf of the European Union. And it was a massive responsibility. It was a little bit crazy that they let me do that while I was uh, very young. And I, I totally, totally loved it. It was, you know, when you have a job that you think like, yes, this is me. Like, you know, I tick the yeah. boxes and I enjoy it. And, and that was one of the jobs that I have liked the most um, in my whole career. And I have had something very similar very recently because I was given the chance to teach international trades um, where I live now here beside Stanford at Stanford University. And, and that kind of connection that you get with the students and, and that mm. transferring of knowledge in, in that very intense um, environment, that intense connection, is, it has been another moment that, you know, it, it had taken me years <laughs> to come back to that feeling of, wow, I love this. You know? uh, so, yeah, I have had quite a few moments. I have been very lucky to have uh, moments like that. Um, one of the things I always, the quote that stands out for me always is Oprah's quote that says, there's no such thing as luck. It is opportunity meeting preparedness. 
and really giving your the credit of the fact that you were prepared when the opportunities came up. So talk to me about how you prepared for this incredible career that continues to evolve. Can I can I disagree a tiny bit <laughs> with that quote? Because absolutely, I, I think that that yes, you know, I and I defend that everything relies on effort. If you don't make an effort, pretty much nothing, you know, unless you're super super lucky, that happens what zero point zero 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 one percent of the times, you're not going to get anywhere. So I I believe in preparing and making an effort on trying. But I think that many of us need to be aware of, I am aware of the fact that there are many people who have worked as hard as I have done. Uh, and I have worked really hard <laughs> during many years of my life, and I still do. But many people have worked as hard and continue working as hard, and yet they have not had the opportunities. No? So it's, you know, all, all that very direct correlation between um, effort and lack. I think that it happens in one direction without effort, there is no lack. But sometimes you can make a lot of effort and still things may not happen and you should not despair. No? And sometimes you just need a bit of acceptance um, as well. But I have always worked um, very hard since I was a, a student. No? I believe in the power of information. Whenever I have any issue, my first instinct is I want to know it all <laughs> about it. Um, I, I did very well at the school and then at, at university. And, and then I had lots of difficult professional moments because I started as a civil servant, as I said, negotiating in the World Trade Organization. Then I moved to uh, foreign affairs and foreign affairs was really, really tough. I was doing foreign affairs and, and in particular relations with the Middle East um, at a very difficult moment of the Middle East when the crisis in Iran started and the second intifada in Palestine and, um, uh, you know, the, the war with Iraq, everything was happening in that area when I was uh, dealing with it. It wasn't my fault, by the way, <laughs> it was somebody else's. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I was starting having um, a family. I, I started having two of my three sons then and, uh, and it, it was tough to do it. And there are some moments in your life that you realize no matter how much effort you put into this, some things just don't work and you need mm. to, to make a change. And, um, mm. and to me, one of the main things in my life has been um, realizing when I had to change. This, mm. you know, I'm very glad now when I see that in modern life, the normal thing is not to have the same job for many years. Because that is something that I have felt from the very beginning. It's like, why do people have the same job for 30 years? I always get, you know, after four or five years, I get itchy and I want to look somewhere else. And um, so, yeah, I'm really happy that things are going that direction. Amazing. I mean, what you just said, that itch, that itch of feet and itchiness is something that I know both Priya and I can definitely relate with. And I know some of our listeners will as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think you end up getting stuck in certain situations because you fear, you know, the fear is real. And we've spoken about this with, with other folks about being scared to fail. I think that's a big thing. And because you don't see many people talking about their failures publicly or even within our own social networks and social, you know, friendship circles, you feel like you, you are the unique one and you can't talk about it because you're 
a bit ashamed about it, to be honest. And I've always kind of said, and Priya and I chat about this to our community, is that failure is something that we shouldn't be embarrassed about. And I think, you know, we've all we've all made mistakes and we've all done different things, but you've got to learn from that. And I think what you're saying there about, you know, taking those risks and putting yourself out there and not being stuck and taking those opportunities. Yeah, some of it will be, you know, the quote that Priya shared, opportunity preparedness. But I kind of agree that there is a sprinkling of luck um, across that as well. And, and some people do have that great benefit and, and others sadly don't. And it's just trying to find the right route for you. Um, for a number of years, Miriam, you know, in the UK, you were in the public eye quite a lot. And when I was kind of doing the kind of research on inspiring girls and stuff, I saw that you had to live with quite a lot of public attention that focused more on the dresses that you're wearing or the shoes that you're wearing and the kind of questions that journalists asked you. And, you know, considering your incredible accomplishments, I'm imagining, and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of assuming here that that was a little bit of frustration for you. I can, you know, as someone with your success and career highlights within your own right, all of a sudden being thrusted into the spotlight and then being asked, where's your dress from? What shoes are you wearing? You know, how did that feel in that moment, you know, in that time? Um, it felt uh, bizarre. Um, I couldn't really understand it because I come from a country where the political culture is not that one. Nobody knows what they, it tends to be the wives of politicians because many of them are male, uh, but nobody really knows, more and more we have women, but nobody knows what the wives or husbands um, are doing. And to me, it was a big shock the first time that I saw the paparazzis outside my house is taking pictures of everything that I was wearing whenever I was going to work, whenever I was going to buy a pint of milk, whatever it was. They came at the beginning of the 2010 election, the very first day, and they didn't leave my house for six or seven um, weeks. And, wow. you know, they were, they were always, always uh, there. And if I may say, so, you know, I, I ended up compromising um, a bit because both my husband, Nick and I were really adamant that we didn't want to see our children in the public eye. And, mm -hmm. and at the time, uh, not only the wives of the other leaders um, were playing this role of, of uh, being with them and briefing the media about what they were wearing and all that, but some uh, were also having their children in the public eye. So for, for me, the only way forward was to compromise a little bit with being in some of those um, events, uh, but not in all of them. And, I, you know, I think that the public sometimes doesn't know. I have had situations that really, really serious UK journalists. I mean, some of those that you think at the very, very top of the media career, um, at one point I had a female, by the way, uh, politician refusing to publish um, an interview with Nick unless uh, we would agree to put the children in a picture. So the, the pressure was um, very, very real. And I ended up finding a way forward, just thinking, well, why don't we use this for something yeah. positive? When I thought of putting together inspiring girls and at that point, it's like, okay, you know, you, you are using me for your pictures, <laughs> but in a way I am using you to bring the, the public exposure on something that really, really matters to me, which is the, the access of girls to, to female role models. You know? So yeah. from that moment, everything was was kind of better but you you cannot imagine the the pressure at some points you know the very first day that that election started i was called 
by the media um, office, the press office, uh, saying, well, all the others are uh, briefing about what they are wearing and where they are going. So can we say what you are wearing and where you are going? And I said, well, I'm wearing my clothes and I'm going to the office. <laughs> and the, the very first day they said, oh, how funny. But when the next day they asked me, so what are we saying today? And I said, well, you say again <laughs> that I'm wearing my clothes and I'm again going to my office. And they started thinking, well, we can handle this for the whole campaign. I said, well, you are going to have to because I'm not going to give you any other information. So, so you get very quickly into a tense situation and, and it is difficult to handle it because you are constantly trying not to become yourself um, yeah. the story. For me, the biggest uh, surprise is that this was 2010. Mm. Now we are 2021. Nothing has changed. You know, when I still see, uh, and it tends to be, again, the wives and partners of politicians in the UK, in particular where I was, no? doing exactly the same. It's like really a whole decade and no progress. It's just very disheartening. Mm. It really, it really is. And I can't even imagine intrusion in your life, you know, having that kind of paparazzi hanging about for six weeks outside your house and you're trying to protect your children. I think what you did with that situation and turn it around and make something incredible out of it, like Inspiring Girls, is a credit and kudos to you. Because, you know, I just, I couldn't ever imagine being thrusted into that spotlight and being able to manage that in the way you did. So I, I suppose we're all grateful and the folks who have been involved in Inspiring Girls that something good did come out of it. And, you know, we're, we're very glad that it did. So that's that's great news. Yes, I'm very grateful now to the tabloids that <laughs> they kept taking pictures because thanks to some of that attention, we managed to, I mean, in the UK where we started and I did it with a different uh, brand at the time, it was inspiring women. We got 25,000 women going all throughout the country back to schools. And now with inspiring girls um, uh, that we changed the focus towards the girls when we did it internationally, we are in 28 countries and, and to be completely honest, we would not have been able to do that mm. without the support of the media. Now it is easier because there is social media, of course, and there is much more that we can all do on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, the power is much more on the individual. No? But at the time, we really needed the media. And I'm very, very glad to say that no matter the political disagreements, uh, we have had support from everything that goes from the Financial Times to the Daily Mail and everything mm. that there is in between. So, you know, yeah. As soon as you get into um, really trying to help society, I think that there are lots of people, no matter whether we agree or disagree on other things, that really tip in and try to help. Yeah, and that's important, definitely. So let's talk about Inspiring Girls International and the work that you're doing. You're talking about 28 countries. Last year, you had this, this Little Girl Is Me campaign. Talk to me about how that came to be and what were your biggest surprises and, and delights from what happened with that campaign globally? Well, we, um, what we do in Inspiring Girls is, is a very, very simple thing, which is to expose girls to female role models. And we don't try to cajole them into any kind of specific jobs or to go in any particular direction. We simply say, look at all the many things that women are already doing and feel free to choose whatever you want to do on the basis of your own wishes rather than where society is trying to push you. And we started 
by sending back the female role models to um, the schools. And then um, quickly we saw that with technology, we could reach many more girls. So we launched um, three years ago, just before COVID. Um, and by luck, really, we have launched a video hub so that the girls can have access to female role models remotely and then to have sessions with them uh, remotely in the schools. And, and we are constantly, and I am constantly thinking of where are the girls? You know, we need to go where the girls are. We need to make it really easy so that they cannot miss the role models. So our thinking last year was they are in social media. So why don't we bring the role models to social media? And that is how we thought about this campaign. Uh, we all, um, which is something that we see a lot when we talk to the girls, they, they um, kind of, think, where is the ladder to become <laughs> like you are? And he said, there is no ladder, you know, life goes up and down. And what you need to remember is that not so long ago, I was like you. So all mm. those fears that you have and those doubts and all that, we have all had it. <laughs> if you Definitely. could only see me when I was a little girl, I was very similar to what you are feeling today. And so this whole theme about let's take the little girls um, out of the women so that the girls can see us as we were when we were their age. And that is why we put together that this little girl is me campaign, which was really about women posting pictures of how they were when they were little and, and talking about what they felt at the time. You know? and, and for some of them, their dreams happened. For some others, it went in a completely different direction. Uh, some of us have had disappointments, some others have had um, wonderful <laughs> times, but it's all that variety that is really important that the girls um, see it. And it was, it was fantastic. It was, we launched it in um, Instagram. I spent the whole of August just emailing and DMing absolutely every woman I knew and many I did not know. <laughs> and um and, and it was great to see the reaction because, again, I think that whenever you, you tell women or anybody, and, and by the way, I should stress that there are so many men who helped in this campaign and they got in touch and they got every woman in their offices uh, just helping. And I think that when people see that there is something simple that you can do and it's concrete, you know, they do it. A lot of the, when we complain about society that, oh, why can't we do this or that? Sometimes it's because we haven't found a simple way to do it. People try to help. You know, we are all dealing with our lives. So mm. if, if you don't show a path, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's difficult for everybody to, to do it. So to me, it was wonderful to see, you know, from big, well-known global women to um, women who are doing like, you know, really basic jobs, everybody. And it was so wonderful to see that the most uplifting stories was not necessarily the ones of the a big singer or big actress or whatever, the best known women. It really was a combination of it all. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's not on what job you do, it is on your attitudes yeah. in life. No? Yeah. And the journey that it took you to get there, I think, again, we don't, like failure, we don't talk about it, right? People think that you just woke up one day and you're this international trade lawyer, you know, doing this incredible work, but not recognizing the, the support and the journey and all that to get there. I think that's what inspires. And, you know, I, I'm speaking for myself, but not only did 
the campaign, I think, definitely inspired little girls, but inspired women like me. You know, when you feel a bit lost or you feel a bit disconnected and then you read these incredible, incredible, I mean, I spent the entire Sunday, must have read for about three hours, all these kind of different inspiring stories. And I think if, if and people who are listening who don't know about the campaign or haven't read anything, then please do check out the hashtag, this little girl is me, because she'll just be blown away at some of those incredible, incredible stories. Miriam, we could talk to you all day. There's no doubt about that. And but before we do, we've got these, um, we're calling them rapid fire questions, but then we don't expect a rapid fire answer. And Priya and I were chatting that we need to come up with a better name, but we've got these questions that we're asking all our guests. And the first question we want to ask you is, who or what inspired you uh, when you were growing up? It was the, the person who has most inspired me was um, the president of the government of my country at the time, somebody mm -hmm. called Suarez. And he was a centrist and he actually came from the dictatorship. So his origins, you know, it was a little bit murky, but he managed to, to inject energy in that country and to take it forward. And then, then at one point, he realized that he was becoming an obstacle mm. and he did something that I have never seen any other politician, and I have looked at politics very closely in lots of different countries during my life, <laughs> he did what I have never seen anybody else doing, which is that he removed himself because he thought that the country was going to be better off without him. And, and wow. if you talk to any Spaniard of my generation, we all remember his resignation speech. And if you play to me that speech, it's still right now 40 whatever years later you will see tears going down my oh. <laughs> my eyes and i think that it's, it's something that because my father was in politics my both of them were originally teachers that that kind of vocation of public service is something that has been very much ingrained um in me and i you know i he still inspires me now <laughs> I love that story because it's really about knowing when to move on yourself to let others yeah. lead and, and, and making that happen. And I love that. So question number two is what is the one piece of advice you would give your younger self? I think not to worry um, so much. And you, you touched upon it, both of you earlier, uh, this whole concept of failure. I come from a culture that tries to hide failure. And, and whenever we fail, we try to pretend that, you know, you put a nice face and you go there like if nothing has happened. And, and during my life, I have come to live now in Silicon Valley, which is exactly the opposite of that. It's a culture that praises failure. And there is nothing that sells better here than I fail and I managed to step up and I continued to the point that there are some venture capitalist firms here that would not put money on any company unless you can tell them how many times you have failed. Wow. Because they understand you are, of course, everybody fails at some point. So if you haven't done it yet, you are going to do it <laughs> next with their money. So that, to me, it has been a huge learning curve to understand that failure is part of what you need 
in your professional and sometimes also in your personal life and that you need to know how to not just to overcome it, but also not, not become a prisoner of that failure and let it go. You know, I, I keep telling my children often, when you get a big disappointment, you wrap it up, you make a ball with it and you throw it away so that you have learned from it, but it doesn't keep you hostage of that uh, failure. And, and um, I would have told my little self, you know, fail more and be less scared of failure. Oh, yeah, I love that. And I think that's so important in learning from that failure, but then letting it go and not letting it hold you back because that is, you know, that can stop you progressing without a shadow of a doubt. And then our final question is what would, let me get this right so I get the word right. So what wouldn't we know about you by just looking at you? That I'm very hardworking. I think that anybody who knows me is the very first thing they say. I always make an effort. Um, I may get some things right or wrong, but I put as much effort and I put as much energy on anything uh, that I can. So when I fail to go back to the theme, uh, it may be for other reasons, but it's never because of a lack of effort. So before we close up today, Miriam, any last words? The one thing I loved about the campaign and the and Inspiring Girls International is that every single person has the ability to inspire. And, and so what are your last words for our audience who's out there who are looking to be, to be inspired and be inspirational? Well, perhaps two things. No, one is that you don't need to be um, a heroine or somebody absolutely amazing who has had, you know, a glamorous life and a really successful career to be a role model. You know, we are all role models. And, and if you had spent as many hours of my life as I have spent talking to girls and trying to bring role models to them, you will see that, that the women that they find most inspiring are not necessarily the ones who have the shiniest jobs and and careers. No, so so you know, be confident about how much you can bring to the girls. And my second message is be visible. I think that we have a real problem uh, with women that many of us, you know, we go under the surface and we focus on doing very well what we are doing. But we don't really let the next generation see us. So keep asking yourself where, you know, if we all agree that it is important <laughs> that girls have female role models, where do you think that girls see you? Where, you know, in your office, really? In the publications, in the academic publications, in the where? Where do they see you? And wherever you think that they will be looking at, go there and try to show it yourself. And to me, something absolutely crucial is do it with authenticity. I, I get mad whenever I see, it tends to be some of the top women who put together this you know, wonderful image that has been created with dozens of media advisors so that they, they look good, they always seem successful. It's like, have responsibility. If girls are looking at you, you need to show yourself as you really are in an authentic mm -hmm. manner and without hiding the bad side. You know? so, so think about the next generation because we are not only about what we do ourselves, it's what we do towards the next ones. 
100%. And so that visibility thing is something that we say time and time again in the Leader Like Me community, that if you're not visible, you can't inspire other people, right? Other, other women and other people who may connect with you just can't see you. And it's and it's, people get embarrassed about that. Like, oh, it's a bit embarrassing for me to put myself out there. What will people think? And what you have just said is so critical. So take that leap of faith and, and go out there and, and be visible. And, you know, great things can happen. Thank you so much, Miriam. We're going to share with everybody in our show notes where you can find more information about the great work that Miriam is doing. But we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Thanks.